Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. The Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 28, beginning with verse 16. Let us listen for the word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. Trinity Sunday is different than other holidays in our church's liturgical calendar. We're not celebrating a specific biblical event like we have the past two weeks with Ascension Sunday and Pentecost. And it certainly isn't like Christmas or Easter. Today we're focusing on a doctrine of the church, and a complicated one at that, developed over the centuries. The word Trinity never appears in Scripture, but we describe and understand God as Trinity because it is our best attempt to remain true to how God presents himself in the Bible. Evidenced in Jesus' baptism, we have Jesus the Son entering the waters of the River Jordan, the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove, and the voice of God proclaiming, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And here, at the conclusion of Matthew's Gospel, we have the same Trinitarian language we use when we baptize people here at this font. And we quote Jesus baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A sacrament is a sacrament because Jesus himself underwent the sacrament, performing it, giving us his example, and because he also commanded it. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we follow his example of celebrating the Passover meal in the upper room with his disciples before his arrest, trial, crucifixion, and resurrection. And in addition to example, his example, we follow the command that we will echo at this table shortly. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same with the baptism. When Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, he gave us an example. And then here at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he commands us, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we recognize all baptisms, regardless of the denomination or the church in which they have been done, so long as they employ water 
and the Trinitarian language we have in Jesus' own baptism. A Pew Research poll with a sample survey size of 35,000 participants found that 63% of people absolutely believe in God. No question about it. It doesn't mean they go to church, but they believe God exists. Another 20% are fairly certain about their belief in God, and 5% more believe in God, but they're not willing to claim a fair amount of certainty about it. They're on the fence, but they're leaning in our direction. Quickly doing the math, 88% of people surveyed in this poll believe in God. This is a much larger number than I would have guessed, and I'm encouraged by it. And so taking the Great Commission seriously, the church's goal isn't necessarily to convince people that God exists, but that God matters. And this morning, I'm setting a similar goal for myself. We're not recognizing Trinity Sunday simply because the liturgical calendar and lectionary instruct us to, but because the Trinity actually matters for our lives and for our faith. By understanding God as Trinity, I believe we not only grow closer to the truth of how God is revealed in Scripture, but that belief in the Trinity makes our faith and lives better. Trinity Sunday teaches us that the character of God is shaped by relationships between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in three, three in one. Like the Israelites were monotheistic, Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Yet at creation, a wind from God swept over the waters. In Numbers 11, verse 25, when Moses had gathered the 70 elders together, the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when that spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. The doctrine of the Trinity understands God as existing as three distinct persons yet each fully divine, fully God. As we give you the opportunity to profess shortly, the Nicene Creed states, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. This past week in preparing for this sermon, I struggled with the children's time. How do you explain the Trinity to children? It's a concept that adults struggle with, but maybe this is part of the point. If the Trinity leaves you a little confused, if you find that the Trinity is both revealing of who God is, yet vague in its description of God, if you find as Paul describes yourself looking through a mirror or glass dimly, if the Trinity makes the character of God a bit more comprehensible, yet remaining ultimately mysterious and incomprehensible, perhaps even a bit daunting and confusing, perhaps then you understand God as God is meant to be understood.
The Trinity is a highly nuanced concept, and therefore any description or explanation of it must also be highly nuanced and complex. And that's okay, because at least our faith, as it is professed here at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church and elsewhere also, we're not alone, is a nuanced and thoughtful faith. We admit that we don't have all the answers, that there are some things that we're still trying to figure out and may never figure out, but we are committed to acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. At times it seems that our culture, our larger world, seems opposed to nuance, preferring certainty over an uncertain complexity. For example, the most popular news shows here in America aren't news shows at all, but opinionated commentaries on both sides of the aisle. They keep things short and punchy, and they present a particular point of view on a topic as seemingly obvious to any reasonable person, but they are not open to debate. Complexity and nuance don't seem very good for ratings. New teaching philosophies in schools instruct teachers to switch activities every 10 to 15 minutes. How much complexity can be covered in that time span? But before we lament the lack of sustained attention among young adults, let's think about how long a typical sermon is. Complexity is a hard sell. It's a big ask. Yet, complexity is what exists here and in other Christian churches around the world. If I were to ask you, the congregation gathered here today, to define biblical and theological concepts such as heaven, salvation, sin, I may get as many answers as there are people in this congregation. Does this mean that Christianity or we here in this church are not doing our jobs? Some might levy that accusation. Yet, because we affirm that God is the Lord of the conscience, we might view this as a strength. Or at least I do. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned David Bentley Hart's book, The Doors of the Sea, and I spoke of an informed not knowing. I argued that believing in God and taking God seriously alongside the real experiences which we undergo in the face of natural disaster or in the hospital room, for example, means sometimes saying, I don't know. But while saying, I don't know, we also trust deeply and hope in God. Today, on Trinity Sunday, I might relabel this informed not knowing as an informed acknowledgement of complexity. Maybe not the best selling point for the Christian church. Can you see that on the front page of our website or on marketing materials? Join Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church to become thoroughly confused and to com complexify everything. It's not only not a good marketing tool, but it isn't entirely true. We do hold steadfast to certain beliefs, primarily amid whatever diversity of thought exists among us, we turn to the cross, central to our sanctuary and essential 
to our faith. This is our rallying point. We acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ, the creativity of God as the source and the sustainer of life, and the ongoing presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. We know Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to be revelatory for who God is. We believe the Bible speaks to God's work in the world and provides guidance and insights in our world today in a way that other books could never do. And we have experiences, moments in which we feel and know God to be present and real among us. And these are the qualities that cause us to be certain of God in an uncertain world. In a book entitled The Unintended Reformation by Brad Gregory, Gregory describes how the Protestant Reformation led to the dehallowing of sacred space. To put it very succinctly, but trying to prefer, preserve some of the complexity of his argument, all in the 12 to 15 minutes that I'm allotted, whereas the Reformation, whereas before the Reformation, the church, and in particular the altar, was the site of the sacred, after the Reformation, all the world became sacred. And if all the world is sacred, nothing is sacred. This gave way to the Enlightenment, that season of scientific advancement and intense questioning, interrogation, empirical proof, logic, and reason, a time that Christianity survived. Christianity survived the Enlightenment, but not necessarily unscathed. But rather than identifying a bruised and battered faith, a little shakier than before the Reformation, certainly different than the days of Christendom, I believe we have a refined and potent faith, one that survives questions and challenge, one that's God's doing. The only God we could fully, absolutely understand is a God of our own creation. But that is not the God we have. As Genesis describes, and as Psalm 8, which we sung, asserts, we are God's creation. God is not our creation. Here on Trinity Sunday, we proclaim the mystery of our faith in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in three, three in one. Trinity Sunday points us to the incomprehensibility of God and his mystery, yet also turns us to a God who gives us hints, crumbs on a very long and windy trail, and these crumbs give us reason to believe. The Trinity, as I've mentioned, is a difficult concept, but it's supposed to be. Once when I was in a discussion of the Trinity, someone once said something very wise. They told me that they believe in the Trinity despite their lack of complete understanding. But similarly, they do not understand how airplanes work. Yet each week they would trust their life to an airplane. They would put their life in the hands of that airplane, trusting entirely in what they do not fully understand. Perhaps the same could be said to you. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.